what happens when you bring our capacity to actually evolve, to evolve what's possible in consciousness? What happens when you bring that into your relationships? That's what today's show is all about. And I'm excited to have you here with me this week to talk about it for another episode of Relationship Alive, which is my offering for you so that you can have the most amazing, fulfilling, thriving relationships possible. So if you're finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to ensure that we can continue. To choose something that feels right for you, just visit neilsatin.com slash support. Or you can text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And just so you know, every bit helps. And this week, I would like to thank Madeline and Laura. Thank you so much for your generous contributions to Relationship Alive. If you're on Facebook and haven't joined us yet, come find the Relationship Alive community where you can get support for you in your relationship from other people who are interested in helping you feel supported in having an amazing relationship. So again, that's the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. And right now there are more than 1,200 people there to help you out. So come join us there. Now, before we drop in, I was wondering if you knew what the number one thing is that people write me about when they're looking for help with their relationship. Well, if you guessed communication, you're right. It is the number one thing that people write me about. How can I improve the way that I communicate with my partner? Something's up. So in order to help you with this very important question, I put together a free guide to my top three relationship communication secrets. These are the kinds of things that will help you stay connected no matter how challenging the thing is that you're talking about with your partner. To download the free guide, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And uh, I think that's it. So let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. What we're trying to do with this show is create a change in culture. And for the purposes of our conversation here, most of that change has to do with how we relate to our partners, our lovers, our spouses, our um, boyfriends and girlfriends and other friends. And that's you know, the, the foundation of the conversation that we're having here. And we're part of a larger conversation about how we relate to each other in the world in general. And in order to talk more about that and where our relatedness is going, how to take conventional relationships and actually turn them into something that's deeper, more fulfilling, more enlivening, and part of the evolution of our species and our culture, 
uh, I brought in someone really special who was here in the early days of the podcast. Her name is Patricia Albert, and she is here on the heels of releasing her new book, Evolutionary Relationships, Unleashing the Power of Mutual Awakening. She was on Relationship Alive way back in episode six. And if you're interested in hearing that episode, you can go to neilsatin.com slash Patricia, and that will take you there. So you can hear what we talked about the first time she was on the show. Uh, we may take a moment this time around to talk a little bit about mutual awakening and how to do it, which is something that we talked about back then. But otherwise, we are going to dive even more deeply into the skills of relatedness and how to create something even more amazing as you explore the shared consciousness created between you and your partner or you and someone else with whom you feel that spark of an evolutionary relationship. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. If you are interested in downloading the transcript and action guide for this episode, you can do that at neilsatin.com slash patricia2. So that's the name Patricia and the number two. Or as always, you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and that will get you all the information that you need. Okay, I think that's it for now. Patricia Albert, thank you so much for joining us again here today on Relationship Alive. I am just smiling. I'm just so happy to be with you and to be able to have uh, another conversation um, about something that we're both passionate about. Yeah, I don't want to set an unrealistic expectation, but I will say that after our last conversation, I just remember this so clearly, like I got off Skype and I went and found Chloe, my wife, and I was just like, that was probably the most powerful conversation I've had up until that point, you know? Um, it was just so expansive and, um, and it's such a treat to be able to have you back here today. Thank you. So, the title of your book, it's called Evolutionary Relationships. And I don't think we can really talk about the practice of mutual awakening and all of the activating principles that we will we'll hopefully cover some of those on today's conversation without talking about what you even mean about evolutionary relationship. How is that different than the kind of relationships that we're used to having? And why is it so important? Great, great question. Um, so evolutionary relationship, you know, you can, you can approach it from a couple of different angles, but um, one is evolutionary. So we are lucky enough as human beings to be conscious of the fact that, there, that evolution exists, you know, that we're actually headed somewhere um, for thousands of years. You know, no one had that concept at all. You know, I mean, basically, we just were on the planet, we were living, we were doing whatever we were doing. And, and for the most part, time and the movement of time was very, you know, it looked like things weren't even changing, basically. Mm. You know, like most people's children did the same thing they did. And, you know, if you think of thousands and thousands of years, there, the, the sense of no change was pretty strong. Uh, for us, you know, we are now living at a time where 
the quality of change and how everything is moving is so crazily intense. You know, every day, you know, scientists are discovering things. There's technologies. There's new things. I mean, it's like the, the newness of what is occurring and how we are hooking up and even um, consciousness itself is evolving that to be connected to the fact that your relationships too are evolving. Love is evolving. You know, we think love is just some eternal expression between human beings that has been the same forever. And actually love itself is evolving. So for relationships, you know, the evolutionary quality of relationships, you know, you can have, I, I talk about in the first chapter, first or second chapter, I can't remember, um, you know, talking about Maslow's hierarchy. And if you look at relationships from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, some relationships and none of it's bad or good. It's just different. Um, you know, you can have a, a romantic or a marriage type relationship where in a way it's at the basic needs of Maslow at the bottom. You know, you, you it turns into logistics. Mm. You know, sex is kind of very basic. You know, you have a home together, you take care of things, you know, you get food, you have meals, you get a new car. You know, there's, there's, there can be a quality where much of the relationship starts getting devoted to just the, you know, the sort of survival needs of what it means to live together. Right. Um, you know, and, and just, just even saying that, sometimes you're like, ooh, you know, you can feel when you're like, when your relationship is sort of slipped into that that becomes the dominant, you know, even if you're doing it at a high level of going on vacations and, you know, getting another fabulous car or something else, it, it becomes kind of a, on a survival level. And the relatedness is not um, very awake and expanded and there aren't tons of potentials, you know, that are going to show up between you. You know, next level up, you would move into safety and security, you know, most people navigate that in their relationships to feel safe, you know, safe psychologically and physically with each other and, and secure and, and able to trust. And next level up is belonging, you know, a sense of um, feeling loved. And so some relationships never get beyond sort of like third level up, which is just that just to be loved and to feel like you have a sense of belonging, you belong to one another is the scope and the territory of of the level of relatedness, which is also important and wonderful, but it isn't on the edge of evolution. You know, evolution is always pushing into the newness, into what's possible for human beings. And so an evolutionary relationship is like where our human potentials and possibilities are evolving into, moving into. So as you move up the scale, you know, I would do the whole thing, but, um, on the higher levels, there's the two higher levels. One is called actualization. You can be with a partner where you experience empowering one another to really actualize your potentials, um, to both be successful in the world, to you know make a difference or whatever it is that you have a, a value for in that way, and to you know love each other from more of a place of abundance rather than need. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just, I need this or I need a relationship for the various things, you start to feel like an overflow, like you actually have a lot to give and you can give to one another. Right. And in, in our first conversation, we talked about 
how in that kind of relationship you can even be taking a stand for each other. Like I'm, yeah. I'm taking a stand for you being the best you could possibly be. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and I think a lot of the current things that you, you know, the courses and, and conversations and the things that you can do are very much about empowering that sense of actualization where you have two independent human beings who are, you know, self-authoring. They're trying to really fulfill themselves, their higher purpose, their sense of self, you know, their interior sense of self, and that you have two people loving each other from, you know, being more actualized, um, you know, whether it's in the world or also, you know, in their, in your own consciousness and development. I'm going to take, so the evolutionary relationship is taking it a step further, which is something that not everybody needs to do, but some of us need to, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to, um, push, you know, if, if evolution is going to continue to move, the thing that, that is worth knowing is that it isn't just about relationship. Evolution itself is happening through human consciousness and human relationship at this point. You know, we are creating new creatures. In fact, we're eliminating many of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, evolution isn't fooling around with, you know, how do we have new species where it's interested, you know, where the push is in the, in the entire movement of, you know, billions of years of evolution is human consciousness is where it's happening. And where it's happening in human consciousness is no longer with just people's individual consciousness. You know, that's been being worked with for the last few thousand years. You know, individual enlightenment, personal transformation, um, you know, individual salvation through like religion and stuff. Right. That's and, old and news. <laughs> kind of, you know, I mean, the way I see it, you know, that's been going on. You know, we've been doing that for a few thousand years, you know, somewhat, I guess, okay. And, and, and we're failing at a lot of it, but you know, that's not new. If you look at the, um, you know, science is pointing to that we're, we're not separate objects that actually the only thing that's real is exchanging. There's actually no there, there, there's no, there's no atom, you know, there's actually, you know, we think there's little billiard balls that are sort of, that we're made of. There's actually, you know, when they go down to the, the, the root of the root of what's there, they don't find anything. What they find is, is exchange. Mm. These like little balls of exchanging energies, which, you know, if you want to translate that, that is relating. What that is, is relationship and relating. So ultimately, all there is, is relating on the most fundamental levels. And the way that humans can begin to push the consciousness, you know, awaken to and begin to, you know, be a part of being able to manage the kind of consciousness that we need to start to get access to, kind of like a, you know, atomic fusion, is what is the space between us? What is actually happening in the space between humans? And how can we lean into and become awake to and sensitive to reality together? So, yeah. So I'm curious to know a, a couple of things. One is, do you recall when you first became aware that that was what was happening? That there was this space between a shared consciousness that was where evolution was taking us? Was there like an aha moment for you around that? 
Yeah, I mean, well, I didn't, I didn't know about the evolutionary part until later. But I was my path has always been, I'm like taken into experiences. And then like 10 years later, I understand what happened. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I must be, you know, I'm kind of, I guess, a mystic at heart, you know, I'm willing to not know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so when, when, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure I probably shared a bit of it on the first conversation that we had, but it happened in a relationship. So there was a man named Peter, who was a beautiful German mystic, and we fell in love and came together. And his obsession for awakening and for enlightenment, you know, was from the moment he woke up all the way through his sleep. So he never, he never was interested in anything other than that. And he never stopped paying attention to, con you know, to awakening, to consciousness, to being fully present in every moment. I mean, he was pretty obsessed. So, and for me, I had had a, a background of working with thousands of people. And I think my heart, you know, my ability to love was very developed. And I had a childhood that, and a great mom. And, you know, I had a, like, my heart was very available. So, when we came together, and I am convinced that he's my twin soul, you know, it was one of those things that you, you couldn't not recognize and you couldn't not be in, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there was, there was the mag, the magnet that pulls us together was not, there was no choice. It was choiceless. So our being together, what happened was, was as we said yes to one another and we were so focused on each other and the space that was happening between us and with his uh, meditative consciousness and my, you know, my capacity and attunement to love and kind of the energies and what's going on there. And then just the way we felt about each other, you know, we were so made one and 24 seven, we were always aware of what was happening. I mean, there was never a moment where he was unaware of like what was happening with me, what was happening with us and vice versa. Like we, we never were separate. We never went into like, I'm just me over here and he's just him over there. And I don't really know what's going on. Hmm. And most, most relationships, you know, if, any, if, if people look are pretty separate, you know, there's times of relating and the relation, you know, the relating kind of, a, you know, it's always sort of there. But a lot of the time, we're, we're, we're functioning on two separate tracks, you know, a lot. Um, and especially in that actualized level, you're very focused on your own separate track, even though you love each other and you're supporting each other. Um, this was being what I call interpenetrated. Like we were completely inside each other and inside of this relatedness that we were together. So... I had four years of that before he um, was in a car accident. He was brain injured. Then eventually um, he died. So, you know, I was in something where we were opening and being taken somewhere. I mean, evolution was definitely having a field day with us. <laughs> it was like, you know, and I felt it. I felt like, like I'd look at him sometimes, like we'd make love or, you know, something would happen and I would look at him and I'd go, oh my God, I, I felt like love itself had just gone someplace where it had never been before. Mm. It was, it was, you know, some, sometimes it felt more like, like it was just beautiful and full and amazing. But there were times where I could actually feel the newness 
of existence finding new pathways because we were so available. You know, just like if you were two great tennis players, you know, like if you're two genius tennis players, you know, sometimes tennis goes someplace where tennis has never been before. So it's, it was pretty exciting to have that on the, in the level of relation of relatedness. So for me, when I later found out many years later about evolution and about the edge of evolution and about consciousness and about, I, I could see that what I had experienced with him was part of the future of where we were headed and where not just couples were headed, but that the multiple beloved you know, there is a way to be connected that that has that mystical dimension, that has um, our divinity being evoked as much as even more than just our humanity and our limitations. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. So when I hear that, what I'm brought to is thinking about the capacity that we have to experience the the miracle of life the blessing of interrelatedness um to bring that into even just our simple day-to-day interactions Mm -hmm. which brings a, a quality of aliveness that um a quality of aliveness that once you experience it, I think it's challenging to be like, yeah, I'm just going to go back to paying the bills and pretending this doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's even, and there's even a more to me um, kind of exciting opportunity in all of it for, for those of us, you know, who are drawn to, to love, drawn to pay attention to relatedness as, as you are, you know, as, as we are. And I'm sure the people that are obviously listening to this is the thing that's so exciting that I didn't know when I was with Peter was the quality of the consciousness that we were developing was different than non-dual consciousness. So those people who have done a lot of meditation and a lot of work in a kind of non-dual quality of consciousness, right, which is usually what people consider being enlightened Mm -hmm. or awake. It's completely different than that. There's actually a new kind of consciousness that's absolutely enlightened, but it's not that. And when they do brain studies, they can actually see that when you're when you're meditating, which is by yourself with your eyes closed in silence, right? You're learning how to let go of thinking, you're learning how to how to, you know, move into a certain state where they find that the mind, when they measure it, you're like letting go of your particular relationship to the world. So you go into a deep state of relaxation and the brain sort of goes into a certain place. Mm -hmm. When you're doing the kind of practices that we're doing, you know, that I'm practicing and working with people where it's like super focus with the other, with the space between your brain goes into this amazingly other place. It, it ignites different lobes and parietal and, you know, the, I, I don't remember the names of all of it, but it activates your brain in such a way that it goes into a place of flow. It goes into a place of incredibly like joy and positive, you know, love, like different kinds of um, experiences and energies that lift people 
you know, lift their mood and lift their stabilization there mm. and also allow them to be incredibly engaged in the world, you know, like, like you're in contact with this kind of intimacy and love and care for the trees, for your kid, for, you know, like you become so this feeling of intimacy, like you're, everything's touching everything. Like you feel like you're inside your cat when you're putting their fur. Like you're both the fur and the cat. Mm. <laughs> um, and so, and, and it makes sense because, you know, ultimately with love or lovers, you know, people that have studied Tantra, you know, you experience your lover. You're like inside them experiencing their experience, your experience, and then something else simultaneously. And this consciousness is that. And I think it's way more attuned to eyes open moving around in this world and it is what is necessary it's a kind of flow state rather than just being you know in yourself focused on your higher purpose focused on how you feel grounded in your body you know all of that's good but it's so separate and it's not like you know as long as i am completely focused on my own subjective experience and how i feel and how i'm moving and what i want and where i'm headed and all the rest of it I'm not all that related. Mm. And that makes a certain kind of flow not possible. It also makes the fact that 7.5 billion people right now moving towards 10 billion in 2050, you know, to me, existence, evolution is not that interested in everyone individually really knowing themselves only. You know, it's not going to really work. Right, it's going to be a lot of life coaches. Oh my God, we're going to have a problem. You know, I mean, we need to learn how to be like, you know, those sports teams and, you know, the people that when we see them become like one organism and then spectacularly, you know, empowered to be individuals within it, like the way a basketball team that's really got that oneness, Mm. you know, all the team members are like knocking it out of the park. But they're not operating individually. There's like this oneness of a way that they're flowing and moving together that's, that's tasteable. And, um, you know, my work is about actually we've sort of we've hacked into how do you bring people into that level of consciousness and relatedness without having to have like a basketball, you know, or a violin. Yeah. Yeah. So, um so I, there are two places I want to go right now. One is giving uh, you listening a, a taste of what we're talking about, like how this actually happens. And and then there's the question that's in my mind around, like, how do you know if a certain person that you're interacting with, how do you know if this evolutionary potential is there between the two of you? Mm. Interesting. Well, I mean, the first thing would be, you know, as we've talked about, like people can download a couple of chapters of the book on evolutionarycollective.com. I mean, you need, you personally need to first go, what is she talking about? And who am I in relationship to this? You know, so if it starts to make more and more sense, then, you know, if you feel like you're a candidate or maybe you're coded for, you know, this edge of evolution, um, to, to understand more about it and to begin to experience it for yourself. You know, there are ways that we take people into the practice. So, we, you know, there's a certain practices 
like meditation that give you a very powerful experience of being in this consciousness with another human being who's also interested in being in the consciousness with you because you need two people that are mutually interested which is one of the great things and it's one of the problems Mm. yeah (laughs) you can't do this by yourself right (laughs) Um, and you can't just do it with anybody you know if you have somebody sitting across from you who's kind of going i don't really want to do this and i don't really want to be here it's not going to work so the first thing is find out for yourself then from there um you know I think, you know, you read the book together, you could start to do the practices, you know, you, you could then begin to, you know, invite someone into like, would you be willing to experiment with me and see, and see what happens for us, you know, like you and your wife, right? Yeah. Um, and start to see if something begins to open in a way that, that is compelling for both of you. Yeah, you were actually, you were just mentioning, um, talking about the brain activity that might be involved in these kinds of practices. And um, we just released an interview with Alex Katahakis, who she focuses mainly on addiction and sex and love addiction and, and the power of relatedness in actually healing the pathways that went offline and that created an opportunity for addiction to emerge in a, in a person. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine this practice will have an enormous healing potential for connection for like, if you're in a place that feels really disconnected from your partner, if you can invite them into it in a way Mm -hmm. that, you know, where they feel like, yeah, I'm willing to, to give that a whirl, then, um, being that the, the kind of present with each other that we're talking about, and we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that, I think, um, Mm -hmm. offers a healing experience when you're, when you're bringing those parts of your brain back online. And this is total speculation, but it must be that when, you set up that kind of resonance, that's what allows this shared consciousness to happen. Yeah, definitely. It was so amazing. I mean, I just came from teaching for like almost 10, you know, eight days or nine days, and um, which isn't usual. I mean, normally I have some breaks in between, but we have the people that are very, very interested in what can happen between people who are really inside this way of practicing and want to um, work together instead of on their personal work. You know, Mm. we have a hundred people who are doing these kinds of practices with each other. And we just spent five days together um, in a retreat. And so they're practicing all year long and we meet a couple of times a year. And, you know, so we're building this quality of the beloved, you know, of this amazing, ridiculous, like level of our nervous systems getting hooked up. And, what you're saying is, you know, like people that understand attachment theory and, you know, the various kinds of ways in which people develop. This is, first of all, like when people are inside of something that's large like that and the level of connectedness is so absolute, the pathways around not having had healthy attachment and not being able to trust and not being able to relax literally start getting handled without even paying attention to it, mm. you know, so you're not actually processing that stuff. You're actually in, um, 
a larger nervous system that's already stabilizing and harmonizing and regulating you. Yes. Which is crazy powerful as far as healing people. You know, we're not doing it for that reason, but that is happening. And then the other thing that was like unbelievable, I mean, the most, one of the most exciting things that's happened, you know, at least up until this week, um, <laughs> is, uh, you know, the group is from, you know, all over. Everybody came and, you know, there are people from Japan and Australia and Europe and New York and, you know, Vermont and California. And we were all together and we've all been working together for anywhere from one to eight years, right? There are people that have been in that. And, it, and what started to happen, we were all together is, you know how like when you're working with someone and consciousness wise, they can all of a sudden shift their consciousness and become totally silent or totally focused, or they can drop into a certain kind of depth reliably. Mm-hmm. You can just sort of point them there and they go whomp, you know, and they kind of go there. Our collective being, because it actually feels like something that's bigger than us, literally has new skills. I mean, it was amazing. Like we could, we could be in this powerful sense of unification and focus and depth of love. And then if I said some things and somebody, you could tell if somebody's started to think there was a tiny bit of fragmentation, I could just point to it and it would just be like, and the level of unity, one of the women shared this morning, we had a call earlier. She said, she's always felt you know, like a little bit afraid to like speak up for herself in certain situations that are challenging, you know, and she's always thought she should and blah, blah, blah. And she said, there's something that is so powerfully in her now that she can't not. Almost like something was, was some strength was placed like in her level of not being alone, her level of this consciousness connection that we have She's standing on something that she never stood on before and it's changing her behavior, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And, and bringing that back to the context of a romantic relationship, so much of, I think the, it's very common that the battles that emerge are around actually fighting for connection, fighting to, to prove that you're not alone and it can feel like you're really alone. So again, yeah. I can just imagine how creating a backdrop of connectedness um, has such a powerful impact on on the level of trust in relationship as one example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, I mean, part of what the practices are, you know, I mean, the, there is a main one, but there's some different things is where you learn to make the connection is not on the surface. It's not on a personality level. It's not even on that subtle connection level, you know, where you're kind of feeling your heart and, you know, there's, there's like a sort of deeper place that people usually are trained to connect from. We're actually moving it from the subtle to the causal dimension, which is the deepest um, origination point of the of that particular human being in yourself. And there's a pretty easy, you know, I mean, like if, you know, when I can work with people, I can get them to drop into this place. And from that place, you're not solid. If you're like this opening of who you are, that's very particular, but it's not a solid object. It's kind of like what the scientists are saying, like you're like this space of potential 
as Neil. Mm -hmm. And when you and I connect from that deepest opening that you are, and you can see into the deepest place of where I am, and we literally start to connect from there, two spaces can connect, two fragrances can connect, two stones can't. Mm -hmm. Things that are solid can't actually interpenetrate. And when you start to build that level of like the we, you know, like you literally become like a new kind of wine, you know, your grape and my grape, you know, we become <laughs> Merlot. <laughs> um, you know, there's when you're deepening and deepening into that. Now, does it mean that your personality and the crazy things that drive each other crazy go away? No. You know, I mean, we still have separatenesses that are going to still operate, but we have that to that becomes louder and louder and a place to, to return to and stand on so that when you're dealing with the things that are different and challenging, you don't lose each other. You do it from being connected instead of separate. Most arguments are completely separate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the moment you like, that's why people love like having fights and making love. Because when you make love and you all of a sudden go, oh, it's you, it's me. <laughs> you know, I remember you, you know, and you don't look like the evil guy who's making me crazy. You know, it's like the whole, you go back to that place where the real connection is. And we have a, you know, very sophisticated but powerful way to just have humans Find that, nurture that, deepen that, because that's also where divinity arises from. You know, we include our human limitations and failings, but there's some source that I know Peter and I found where I felt myself as more beautiful and more powerful. That It, I, it was like I was almost witnessing her as he was. <laughs> you know, it was like some way of me being myself that I had never had ex I never experienced nor had I ever been received in that way and my work is really devoted to deepening that for people exploring that not as a spiritual bypass kind of thing but as making that louder and louder and clearer and more rich and substantial so that the you know the other levels of us um, are kind of put more in their place you know, they, they have like, they're not everything. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we have okay. had Jet Saris on the show. Um, one of the authors of undefended love. I'm not sure if show, if her conversation will have aired by the time we may do this one first, but, um, one of the places that she comes from, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her work at all, mm -mm. is, um, is basically getting couples to the place where they're, able to be totally open and vulnerable with each other that we are at, when we're young we experience um we we start out from a place like that and then we end up suffering some some wound or something happens that creates a crack in the veneer of everything being one and perfect and then which gives us a really hard emotional internal experience and then from that our personality emerges which she talks about as basically all of our ego structures that are mm -hmm. about protecting us from the experience from what we're afraid will happen if we're that vulnerable again so her practice is a lot about going inwards when you feel that fear happening, that closing happening. Um, mm -hmm. 
And I love that this is almost like the equal and opposite approach to a very similar way of getting at the essential self. Like what what is there beneath the the veneer of of personality? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because as you're speaking, I'm realizing like the the direct access to the core, which actually is findable. Interestingly, you know, like I, I don't know why, but it's almost like giving people um, like if you're doing remote viewing, you give them coordinates and the coordinate of finding this deepest place in oneself is actually findable, even though people think they can't, they find it. Is that something we could talk about now? Well, I'm just saying when you find that and you deepen into that, then when stuff comes up, there's a way in the way that we practice where we turn towards whatever is there together. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling defended, I'm feeling hard, like cardboard, and you know, I'm sensing into like the phenomenological like reality of feeling separate. Because that would happen with Peter. That I like sometimes we go, wow, it feels really flat. And we go, yeah, it does, doesn't it? You know, we sort of <laughs> we sort of go towards, you know, we because we were like kids, like we were so we were so curious about whatever was there. We didn't have like a certain kind of preference that it had to be always profound or deep or, you know, whatever was there, we were like, we wanted to be close to that and we wanted to be close together with it. And when you turn that way towards whatever's there, even if it's a weird defensive thing, it seems to unravel. It tends to show itself without you trying to do anything and it tends to, in my experience, um, you know, the power of things dissolving in the face of the two being with it instead of it's just my process and it's my stuff. Mm. It's kind of exciting because it's, it's, it, it moves very quickly and it feels different when it's not, when you're not just by yourself working on your stuff. <laughs> yeah, it feels to me like there's <laughs> alchemy in the space. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there's things that part of what I'm excited about, too. I mean, I've worked for 40 years with people with their individual work and I love people. And I, you know, I've always been committed to people's people being able to express, you know, their highest, deepest selves of and why they're here. Um, this for the people who are able to kind of not make it all about them, you know, and want to explore kind of the edges of where evolutionary relationships could go and, and what's possible together. What I find is that the kind of activation and healing and empowering people to move forward is just a hundred times more powerful. And it makes sense. You know, I mean, there, 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 it makes sense that, you know, if I was creating the universe, instead of having everybody selfishly working on themselves individually forever is the fastest mode that wouldn't make sense. It makes sense that if we somehow find a way to come together, that everything goes faster, that we're rewarded for that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's more efficient. It's kind of like I can't build a house by myself. <laughs> if we're like a hundred people, we can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a, honestly, I'm also thinking about the power, like in the power of relatedness. Um, I was just reading, 
um, a book by Deborah Tannen about friendships among women. And uh, it was talking about this girl who had, she was on the autism spectrum and, Mm. and seemingly incurable and getting worse. And, um, no amount of therapy, no amount of intervention from teacher, like nothing was helping. And then she made a friend who actually accepted her. And I think they connected around horses or something like that and did like this amazing turnaround where, you know, she went from being completely shut down to being open, socially engaged. And, and it was like the, the power of healing that was there in the relatedness versus uh, trying to fix something or cure something. Uh, that's so beautiful. I, I here, so here's another thing I'll throw in that you, you'll probably appreciate. I, I don't know if everyone will, will appreciate this, but um, in this evolutionary piece, when you think about evolution, you know, there are jumps to evolution. Um, you know, we went from nothing to matter, right? So there was a geosphere, you know, there was just this dead planet here. Mm-hmm. And then from a dead planet, life showed up, which is kind of crazy. You know, like, how did that happen? You know, I mean, just, <laughs> you know there are jumps that just are completely miraculous, right? You mm-hmm. know, from dead matter to life. And then from life, you know, from single cell creatures, you know, we have Einstein, you know, we have like geniuses and human beings and plants and, you know, birds and everything, you know, come to life. And then humans with consciousness, which is just a a miracle, right? Mm -hmm. Then from humans, you know, we we have what he calls the thinking layer, you know, um, Teilhard de Chardin called it the newosphere. He said, we go from you know, the biosphere, which is, you know, life and human life to the thinking layer, which is the newosphere, which is, you know, all of culture and language and art and philosophy and psychology and, you know, everything that you're talking about on your show and, you know, love. And I mean, all of that he called the newosphere and you can see it in the internet, you can see like the physicality of this newosphere hooking up, hooking up, hooking up so that we have omniscience. We can know anything, anytime we can contact each other. You know, if, if the aliens land outside my house, like in the next five minutes, if I capture it on my phone, the whole world will know in about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like if it was real, if it was compelling enough, billions of people would be focused on the same image and the same, the same words in a, in a, in a, in a heartbeat. Right. It's unbelievable. I mean, that, that wasn't even, that didn't even exist 10 years ago. And we're hooking up, hooking up, hooking up, right? You know, people have it on their phones. And so the newest sphere was the next layer that, that evolution was innovating and is obviously pretty excited about. But the next one is what I'm, I'm going to call the spondosphere and spondic love the term is uh, is this experience of I am, may you be. So in the way that we practice, there's this experience of like, and, and when you love someone, it almost it comes from some place that's deeper than your personality loving them. There's almost like this this cosmic energy that wants to just go, oh, I want you to have everything. You know, like I love you, I love you. you, know, like, you know, like you just want to imbue them with everything. And we feel that for our children, you know, we feel that, you know, sometimes our heart bursts into this kind of empowerment that is deeper than, than just human love. 
And you can feel it when you're on the other end of spondic love. It is palpable. You actually feel like part of your life just got made because this person loves you from a place that they are in and for you in a way that's real. Mm. So this mutual spondic love, which is also part of the consciousness that we're working with and the consciousness that I think is next, I think that the next, the next place of innovation will be that kind of love where we, instead of being separate, instead of not being even neutral towards each other and just surviving on our own or competing or actively using each other and stomping on each other, you know, this spondic quality of love and connectivity will be the foundation for a ridiculous amount of miracles, innovation, creativity, um, coming together, you know, working together, doing things that can't be done, et cetera, et cetera, that's going to be the next explosion of where evolution is going to be working. I declare. I'm going to ask a, a hard <laughs> question here, which is um, what do you think is the, what's the place of monogamous relationships uh, in the in the birthing of this interconnectedness and this evolutionary consciousness yeah um i i mean me i'm i I have i think so i'll just you know i'll I'll tell you i mean my experience of being with peter you know the the i think when you are in fact with your twin soul you know there's there's a it doesn't happen a lot but when it happens there is nowhere to go. Mm. There really isn't. I mean, even if they ended up marrying someone else, they are yours. Do you know what I mean? Like you are so one and there is nowhere you want to be. Do you know what I mean? The, the kind of sexuality, the kind of um, love and the depth that's shared, there's, there's no desire for anyone else. Because the newness of love and the depth and the profundity of what's there is just crazy unfolding between you. You'd have to be crazy to want to actually go and try to be with someone that you didn't have that with. Mm. You know, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe you eat the best food in the world and then you decide to go have a... Have a burger. McDonald's (laughs) handle. And then, I don't know, why did I even want to do that? Um, well, it's just yeah, it's just right. interesting because it <laughs> it sounds like the experience because you know we're talking about being able to evoke this kind of consciousness with you know in an exercise with a partner, and yet yeah. it is creating the experience of deep, deep love and interconnectedness. Right. Well, there is there's still a discernment. The thing that I find, you know, with the groups of people is. What happens is, is because everyone's so starving for being seen for any kind of real depth and relatedness, you know, the moment someone sees you deeply, you think you want to have sex with them or that they're, that you love them. I mean, cause it, <laughs> we're, cause it's so pathetic. I mean, we're so starving as humans and it's nobody's fault. We live in a world of separation. People don't look at each other. We don't, we literally live in, in so much separation and isolation that we don't even, you know, we don't even realize that it doesn't have to be normal. Right. So what happens is, is like in the hundred people, you know, in the people that I'm working with intensively, people have crazy, I mean, you know, I remember one 
two people, you know, they're both married to other people. They did a practice and they went somewhere and they both came out and you looked at them and you were like, whoa, what just happened? You know, like they, they've gone to a level of love and depth that they didn't ever even experience with their partners. And initially they were kind of like, I don't know what, you know, what do I do with that? Mm, Right. Yeah. There's a man and a woman. And, you know, I just said, just keep allowing it, you know, keep holding. And then more of that started to happen in the group. And part of what comes through then as you begin to create these deeper connections and you're being so nourished and so seen and you realize how abundant that is, you can then bring that to your partner. You don't have to go being, um, what do they call it, uh, polyamorous. I mean, polyamory is a lot of work, you know, to try to <laughs> juggle. I, you know, you have to have no life, I think. I mean, you have to have, you know, I mean, to navigate one relationship is hard enough, as you know. You know, if you're trying to navigate with depth and with openness and transparency and honesty, more, you know, two relationships or more, that takes a ridiculous amount of real energy yes, and work. Yeah. And I respect it. You know, I think that, you know, there's some some newness, something that's opening there and people are learning and growing within that. So I'm not I'm not condemning that. I'm just saying I don't think that ultimately that's where we're headed. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. Because you can experience profound connection without having to have sex with everybody. Thank you. <laughs> welcome yeah and um this really mm-hmm. makes me want to dive into some of your uh your activating principles so um so patricia i'm wondering we did like i mentioned in our first episode together we talked about the mutual awakening practice could you give us just yeah. the quick like 30 second rundown if you were <laughs> going to try it with your partner this is how you try it and and then we can talk about some of the the principles that make it so unique in terms of your approach and and how to really deepen in that experience. Yeah, um, I honestly I can't do a ten minute version of how to do it. <laughs> okay, I can't because it just it it wouldn't honor it it wouldn't really help and it wouldn't if people tried to do it from there it wouldn't work anyway because they, they you know you need to know enough of where to come from, you know, you need to take the time to, to really, cause otherwise it, it's just, you know, if people do it from their, the superficial level of self, it's pointless. It won't do anything. So, yeah. um, so if they do again, you know, if they just go to evolutionarycollective.com and they at least download the first three chapters that will start them on their way. And, um, if they listen to the other interview, I think that we did, that will help as well. And then if they're genuinely curious, they're going to need to invest some time and energy in actually discovering what this is and how it works for real. Great. Um, yeah. So, so, but the, the activating principles, which are in the book, you know, the, the chapters in the book are basically um, mostly dedicated to not only how to do it, but then how do you turn it on? You know, how do you continue like with your, like if you were to do it with your wife, like you would, start to learn how to do it and then you could take a chapter and work with that for a while to to open it to make it even more um full and to continue to work through the the pieces so you know one of them is engagement you know it's kind of simple but when you're turns towards each other 
to really recognize how fully engaged are you and how much more can you open and give yourself into the connection. Um, you know, if, if people just think about that for a moment, you know, the next time they listen to their small child, how engaged? You know, are you just sort of passive, passively listening, you know, being polite, being good, you know, being a good parent, hoping, you know, that it won't take too long? Or do you actually kind of go over where their enthusiasm is, you know, get inside their little six-year-old consciousness, you know, try to really enter into them and engage fully in what it is that they're actually experiencing. So, you know, that's one of them. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, in life, you know, you don't have to know how the practice works to, to just pay attention to the engagement, not as someone separate, but can you get inside them? Can you be inside their world? And then connect. Because that turns something on. You know, when people are, you know, when you're inside their world with them and then, you know, kind of getting engaged, um, something something happens that's different than if you're just listening from over where you are. Right. Right. And can you talk about how that interacts with the the next activating principle of commitment in terms of your committedness to staying inside as you work through whatever comes up? Well, that's sort of a, that's a little bit bigger one where if you've created an evolutionary relationship, if you are practicing with each other, if you're entering into this interpenetrated consciousness, you know, consciousness where um, instead of, you know, most people have a subjective experience where, you know, I feel this and if I'm vulnerable, I let you in on how I feel, you know, I share it with you and you compassionately listen and kind of usually relate to it from yourself you know, from the way you feel like that, which is still, we're very separate. Mm -hmm. Interpenetrating is where you learn how to place your consciousness. You know, this is like against all the boundary stuff, but you actually go inside and you feel the other as they feel themselves. And you feel me as I actually feel myself. Mm -hmm. And there's a way, you know, that I guide people into how do you actually do that? Um, when that level of relatedness is being developed and built, you know, from there and from a commitment to each other, then the committedness makes sense. You know, you actually start to, like if something happens or if you do something that's driving me crazy, instead of me working it out in my head by myself and then announcing to you how I'm going to deal with it <laughs> or announcing to you that I'm leaving you, you know, I'll let you know what I've worked out for myself. I stay inside with you and I share with you and we kind of go in together into what the resistance is, what the concern is. We do it from being inside the commitment to each other and to the relationship and to the experience that's actually there. I don't do it as a separate something. Yeah, exactly. Sense? Yeah, yeah. So you're... What you're committing to is that you're involved in a process that you're co-creating. Mm -hmm. And so the act of like going off on your own to figure something out is a step away from mm -hmm. what could emerge if you gave that thing um, to the, the process that you're in. Yeah. 
Right. And that we'll share it, you know, like, I, you know, it doesn't mean anyone's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean, you know, that we won't, um, you know, disturb each other in different ways, but that we bring it forth and we bring it in and we bring it towards instead of that it's a, it's a function of separation. And when you have that spondic relationship too, when you activate that in and for each other, that also makes it a lot safer. Right. Then you can actually be invested in the truth without it being something that's about separating you. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, Obviously, we won't have time to talk about this whole topic, but I didn't want to end this conversation without being able to talk for a moment about trust. Mm. And I love the way that you articulate the different levels of trust and and how this um, the level that you call basic trust how that feeds into the way that we trust each other and then the generative trust that leads to your trust growing and 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 the expectation of of it being potentially a little messy that's included there right right yeah so i'm wondering if you if you could just explain cuz i think what would be really helpful for for our listeners is if they could come away from this with a sense of what basic trust is and then um and 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 then let's see where that takes us as we as we wrap up this conversation you know you keep asking me for like the the 1 minute version of <laughs> You know, something that takes like... I'm bad. Like, I'm, I know I'm so bad. Uh, well, it just, um, you know, the basic trust is obviously there's one of the chapters that goes through that, relative trust and generative trust. Yeah. And there's a course that I actually have online that, you know, that's an evergreen that people can buy that has two whole sessions dedicated to the basic trust part. Um, but to do the the very simple version is basic trust is something that we have when we're born and until it's disturbed, there's this, this sense of being connected to the flow of life where you kind of feel like, like it's, it's without thought. It's like things are going to work out. You know, if you get fed off, you know, you get a little frustrated and you get fed and somebody picks you up and, you know, different things are happening without too much frustration. You tend to grow up to be a human being who has some sense of, like being relaxed in life. Even if something's hard is happening, you kind of sense that it's going to work out or you're going to figure out a way through it. The people that have basic trust interfered with when they're tiny, you know, they, they, they constantly are not getting what they need. They tense up and their egos are wired to try to make it all happen themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, to restore that, you know, ultimately when basic trust is restored, you relax and life unfolds. You know, I mean, actually faith, true faith, you know, the kind that saints have is basic trust restored. Mm -hmm. And it's full relaxation. I mean, you actually feel utterly okay being in the world, even when things don't go well. So it's unbelievably important. Um, It shapes your relationship to absolutely everything and it's one of those concepts that when you find out about it and you begin to work with it, it can change your whole life. So, um, and it's super important, you know, obviously with the hundred people and, you know, 
where that is what is partly being restored. Right, right. Yeah. And and that feeds into if you can operate from that place, then it makes that it that much easier to have relative right. trust, which you talk mm-hmm. about as the way that two people um, learn to trust each other based on their agreements and their humility and their expectations. Mm-hmm. And not, again, in your book, Evolutionary Relationships, it's such a compelling read because, well, for one thing, it's not like an entire book about trust, and but it also distills it in such a way that I think makes it really real and practical for you to examine, oh, well, this is, this is an area, like, for instance, my relationship has tons of trust based on our commitments, but we don't actually have the capacity to communicate in order to keep our trust intact. And, and so we actually have to increase our capacities. And yeah, I love how you do that. And then the, um, so, but what I love too is how it evolves to this generative trust. And I think this is one of the hardest things in relationship because people expect like, oh, if we're going forward and we're really deep and we're, we're connecting and we're interpenetrating with each other, then all our problems are going to go away. And not not so. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so how did that emerge for you? That concept of generative trust and, and why that's so important. Well, it it just, I mean, it, I mean, having worked with people forever and just having been in relationship, you know, I mean, the, the clarity around that was, I don't know, it was just given. Because you have to manage all of it. You know, you have to actually also, the relative trust is also important. You know, I mean, if you have somebody who, who never keeps their word, no matter how deep the connection is, you're, you know, they're, you're not going to trust them and you shouldn't. Right. Because they're not trustable. You know, actually. Right. Or if um, they don't have the humility to be open when. Absolutely. To influence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so, you know, people have to also take responsibility for having character. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, in some of the postmodern work, you know, everybody's working and dealing with their, you know, their limitations. You know, we get to a point where, you know, every, we just assume everyone's doing the best they can and people are following the flow and, you know, they're following their subjective experience individually but they're not taking responsibility for being related and right. actually showing up and having character and, you know, dealing with the impact of a certain lack of integrity in certain ways. And, and that definitely gets addressed in the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that, you know, there are people like Dale Carnegie who write on and on and on about, you know, how to become trustworthy, how to be so, someone that other yeah. people will turn to for influence and, you sum it up pretty well in one chapter. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, Patricia Albert, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today on Relationship Alive to dive more deeply into the question of what makes an evolutionary relationship, what's possible. Um, Again, you can visit her website, evolutionarycollective.com, where you can download the first three chapters of Patricia's book, Evolutionary Relationships, and um, and also find out more about her work and her trainings. Um, and we will have links to Patricia's book and website in the detailed transcript and action guide for this episode, which you can get at neilsatin.com slash Patricia2. 
and or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Um, and like I said, our first episode together, episode six, we do talk a little bit more about the actual mutual awakening process. And I encourage you to, to check out that episode that we did together as well. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us, Patricia. Is there anything else? Uh, maybe you could just mention you do um, in-person intensives where people can come and, and learn yeah. this, right? Yeah. So people that are um, you know intrigued by the possibility of being with a, you know, cohort of other human beings that are really interested in this, this quality of relationship. Um, there will be a three day in New York in April, the 13th to the 15th. So that's kind of, you know, we only do those twice a year. It's kind of special. Um, but if they sign up for the book, you know, they'll, they'll have access to knowing what's happening. Um, and then people can, you know, from the menu, of what's there, you know, see if, if something serves them. Great. Uh, yeah. So thank you. And thank you, Neil. You do such a good job with this and with bringing, um, you know, just a myriad of, of empowering, you know, ways to empower people with relatedness, which I, I really respect. Thank you. I appreciate your saying that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.